Welcome to Season 3 of Everyday Intuition, the podcast for people who want to live life more confidently. I'm Susan Gorman, and I'm an intuitive counselor who's been helping people conquer uncertainty for over three decades. I believe intuition is our most natural resource, and discovering its inner workings will help you live your most authentic life. There's a reason why we look to our hearts to navigate life's challenges. So I invite you to join me in pulling intuition out of the margins, one hunch at a time. Welcome to the podcast. Today is a busy bird day in the background, so be prepared. The crows have returned, demanding unsalted peanuts in the shell, and there's also some other bird activity. We also have a porcupine that's living in the trees. Did you know that, that that's what they can do? Porcupines climb up into certain trees that have tasty leaves that they like to eat, and they hang out there in the late afternoon into the wee hours. They even take naps on the branches that they are currently deforesting. See? Well, hello. (laughs) There's our crow. Yeah, porcupines, and the one that is living in the tree is a youth, not a baby, but not full grown, and so especially adorable and not fully quilled yet. So we have named the porcupine Quilliam McPerkerson. They seem awfully unconcerned with the video and pictures that we have taken of them. They're very busy, very hungry. I even, in the last observation, they fell off the branch and kind of hung there for a second before writing themselves. So it's this precarious experience to imagine, but again, wholly unconcerned, just hungry, just eating leaves. So that's your nature report (laughs) from me to you. Today, we're going to talk about responsible mediumship. And so the first thing I need to do is describe what mediumship is. You've heard of people calling themselves intuitives that say, I am a medium. And so I want to define that for you as I understand it. And then I've got some really great stories about experiences that I've had helping clients in this part of the spectrum of intuitive gifts. And it's, again in the far reaches of the woo. It's not something that you show up in the morning and have like water cooler chat about, but hopefully talking about it more will give us a language to describe this very common experience. So basically what mediumship is, is the ability to communicate back and forth with the disembodied. And I know that's kind of a creepy term for it, but The reason why I call guides and spirits disembodied is because it's the most basic baseline way of describing how they are different from us humans walking around the planet. And I altered my description of what the disembodied are because of an experience I had about 10 or 12 years ago, I was doing a reading for a young woman and her grandmother had come through. And it was, you know, my tendency in those days to 
explain mediumship to people by pilfering the experience from that movie, The Sixth Sense, and say, I talked to dead people. It was kind of smart-assy, it was quippy, it was an immediate reference to something that I actually think was portrayed pretty well, if not dramatically, in the movie. So I you know, had done that and explained, as I do to all of you when you come in for your sessions, that most of the time I can tell if there's someone on the other side who wants to reach out and has a message for you. But you can also ask me, of course, if there's someone that you'd like to contact. And I don't force it. Sometimes it just doesn't happen for a variety of reasons. But it's part of your session. So Also, I want to say that mediumship is one of the pieces of intuition that really has gotten a foothold in popular media in a way that's sometimes not helpful because it can be very easily dramatized. And I've always found it kind of curious that fiction has grabbed onto it in a way that's meant to really titillate or scare people. And My experience with mediumship is that I have been able to communicate with spirit since I was very small, and it has never been frightening for me, has never really been a frightening experience. So I also think that this is one of the way that the culture doesn't do us very much good. It's a disservice because it, again, makes a part of intuition scary, dangerous, you know, in that category when it really isn't. One of the ways that we tend to isolate ourselves from spirits is because we get very moralistic about it. You know, we feel like they are from the devil or they're a manifestation of mental illness. And that's why it gets relegated to the far reaches of the woo. So try to hang in there with me. And I'm going to approach this in the most down-to-earth way that I possibly can. So we talked in the last episode about energy, and you guys heard me struggle with trying to define it, and we're going to continue to struggle together, enlisting the help of physicists and metaphysicists and spiritualists and all of that bulk knowledge and how they cross over. But let's put a pin in that and just assume that the reason why we can communicate with life as it manifests in many different forms is because it's conducted through a medium's apparatus. So my brain or body. And by the way, mediums often get energy and messages from animals right? They're animal communicators from plants, and they understand energy medicine as it shows up in things that are grown in the ground. So it's not necessarily just people, but when you're coming in for a session, obviously the most important thing that you want to do is contact someone maybe that you've lost. So there's lots and lots of ways that I think mediumship in public forums and in private sessions gets used for dramatic effect. And again, I don't think it's necessarily the most responsible way to practice mediumship. So back to that session. I was with a young woman, her grandmother had come through and we were having a really lovely time because 
grandmother was so proud of her. She was pursuing a double graduate degree. She had a lot going on in her life, and her grandmother was telling her about things that she remembered from her childhood and how special their connection was and how much faith she had in her, and she was just cheering her on. And all of a sudden, her grandmother kind of turned to me and said, could I give you a message? Now, this is something that's happened more than once, but rarely over the 30 plus years that I've been doing sessions with people. And so it wasn't a total shock. And I agreed. I often consider it a really nice gift and compliment. And oftentimes the contact that I'm making is about how to reach the person that I'm sitting with. So it really doesn't necessarily have anything to do with me when they want to give me a direct address. So she said, you know, it's kind of rude to call us dead people. And at that moment, as I realized that I was being schooled by my client's granny, or about to be, I literally physically bit my tongue so that I wouldn't burst out laughing. And she proceeded to explain that from their perspective, after having crossed over, the struggle here is very real, that being human is the hard work, that we have a body and an ego in addition to being spirit and manifesting that spirit into a human life and walking through all of the challenges of that particular life and also just being human is hard. And so when you release the body and the ego upon death, it's very interesting for a lot of them to understand that they're still alive but they're just not in a body and that their emotional range and their spiritual range explodes open because they're not confined by a human ego. So she said to me, you know, in many ways, we're more alive than you. And that message has stuck with me, partly because I tell that story for every new client. I think it's a great way to understand mediumship. But I also think that It's a great way to understand life and the reason why intuitives are sometimes hard-pressed to describe our experiences, because they don't translate from the spirit world, if you will, into the human world. But that is a really great landing place to understand what mediums are doing. What we're doing is we're receiving the energy that comes from life, that it is not embodied but it is real. And we are communicating with that energy. And, you know, I have loads of stories about things that have been communicated to me that either made no sense at the time or manifested later. And it's always lovely when my clients loop back around with me to tell me. The interesting thing about being a medium is that I don't always, in fact, I very rarely have a memory of what I've spoken So oftentimes clients have to remind me. And do you remember when my aunt came through and she told me X, Y, and Z? And oftentimes remember as we're talking about it, but I don't always have like a direct experience of remembering it as if it's my memory. So it's definitely a feeling when I'm the channel for that energy is that it kind of came through me. It didn't land in me for me to communicate it to you. And it's 
wonderful to be able to field your questions about all of your life with this person. There are some tricky things about being a medium. One of them is that oftentimes the way someone comes to me and appears to me is very, very different from how they were in life. And in the beginning of a session, what's most important is that you have the confidence that I actually know, A, what I'm doing, and two, that I'm doing this honestly, that there's no trickery or fraud involved. So, you know, my focus oftentimes is to make sure that I'm bringing you information that is either exclusive to you or helpful in a way that really pinpoints the things that you've been struggling with or contemplating in your life. So when someone's relative comes through and tells them that they love them or they're so proud of them, which is, you know, nine times out of 10, the most important thing that's getting directed is love and encouragement. If they haven't been a person who's said or communicated those things while they were alive, it can be very disorienting. And I think it's one of the most challenging pieces of my job is to try to explain that when you remove suffering from the physical experience of having the body or an ego and the trauma of a lifetime that you've just lived has been separated from you, there's a whole bunch of capacity that you suddenly have that you didn't when you were alive. So I've gotten a lot of quizzical looks and head tilts as relatives come forward, sometimes to even make amends for their behavior while they were in human form. So that's where it gets kind of tricky. I also feel that it's so important to do this work responsibly. And I think that people's expectations of what a medium can and cannot do can get in the way as well. So when we come back after the break, I'm going to tell you three stories about clients who had particular expectations about what mediumship could provide and how I reoriented the way that I do sessions because of that. Friends, are you dying to ask me a question? Is there something from your life you'd like to put under the intuitive lens? Or maybe you have a story that you want to share about how your intuition helped you in a particular situation and how to keep your intuitive growth going. If you're curious about anything intuitive from my life or yours, then email me and we'll consider it for an upcoming feature we'll workcast called Everyday Intuition in Real Life. This is a segment we'll bring to you in future episodes where you get to ask me anything. And I do mean anything. Your questions will all be kept anonymous. So please reach out to me through my website, www.susangorman.net. Okay, so we're back. And the first thing I want to explain to you is what's been told to me about what happens when we die. The moment that we lift off from our bodies has been described over and over and over again by people who've had near-death experiences. So that part you guys have good resources for. You don't need me to explain that to you. But what I can tell you is that there's actually a developmental stage that happens post-death, and it lasts about a week or two. And this is the realization that I am not in my body anymore, but I am still alive. 
that thing that we were just discussing, which is I don't have an ego anymore. I don't have a body anymore, but I'm still me. And me, the me that I am, is instantly expanding, becoming connected to all the others (laughs) in a way that feels really a little less tied to a specific identity, right? So your race, your sex, your gender orientation, your beliefs, all that stuff starts to get kind of spongy. And it's not that it didn't mean anything that those circumstances were so critical to your experience as a human previously. It's that that there's a, a looseness to it, that your identity is not necessarily dependent upon it. During this, let's say, 10 to 14-day period is when oftentimes people report having dreams or visitations of people who have died who come to say goodbye, a really deep sense of that or a vision or, like I said, a dream that's really specific and clear. And that happens sometimes often before we've gotten the actual news that someone's passed away. And then at about two weeks, I lose contact, meaning we sort of get sent to a very sacred space where we get to evaluate what went great, what was hard, what did we learn, what did we teach, are there amends that need to be made. And I always know when someone's in review, as I call it, because literally it's crickets. I can't sense any energy. I can't find anything about this person energetically to hold on to. There's another reason why that might happen too, which is that the person that we're tuning into has already chosen to reincarnate. And that's a whole other deal. But for about two months after someone passes away, sometimes longer, and sometimes a little shorter, the restoration work that's being done, the replenishment of the spirit is really off limits to mediums, right? So I think it's important that it is that way, that there are places that we can't go. So oftentimes when someone tells me that they've lost somebody and they want to contact them, I ask them how soon or how long ago it was that they passed, because I don't really want to encourage anybody to come in when it's been too soon, because that's a bummer, right? You get really excited. You think that you're going to get your questions answered. You're going to be able to make contact. And then it's like, no one's home right now. So that's one of the ways in which it doesn't work. And that's really important to know if you've recently lost people, but not everybody tells me that when they're making an appointment. And I don't think that should be a requirement of the session. But what happens too frequently in like the first six to nine months after someone's passed is that our grief is an interferon, so to speak, in that communication. And the one thing that spirits have told me over and over and over again is that they can help us so much, they can help us even more if we ask them directly, but they cannot help in terms of lessening the grief that we feel. They are almost forbidden from interfering in our grieving process. So if you consider that we live in a society that grieves extremely poorly, we get about three months maybe to feel bad, and then we're kind of expected to wrap it up. 
And most studies of bereavement show that grief doesn't wrap up, especially on anniversaries and almost every three months after a significant loss, especially if that loss was a surprise and wasn't anticipated, that our grief can get stuck very easily because we just don't like talking about death and we really are grief avoidant in our society. So at least the spirits that I've been talking to have told me that if anything happens where a session could prevent healthy grieving, they won't participate. So that's my first story. A woman had come to me. She had lost her husband when her kids were teenagers. And it had been about maybe two years, right? So plenty of time to move through some of the initial stages. He had had a heart attack and died suddenly. And so at two years, it's still pretty hard work. And she was surprised at how clearly he came through. And she made an appointment right away for maybe two or three weeks out. And what was interesting is that at the second appointment, it was much harder to reach him. And I remember him kind of looking at me like, you need to be careful here because you can't be the only source for her to connect to me in this way. And I definitely got a sense that instead of helping her and her kids move forward, she could backtrack. It was very much the case. The third time she made an appointment, there was nothing from him. And I did a lot of work to explain to her that it wasn't going to be necessarily easy, but that I could coach and teach her how to contact him directly. And she was not interested in that. The experience of hearing about her husband articulated through someone who hadn't known him was really powerful. And it was healing, but it was not something that was sustainable. And, you know, if you guys have been hanging around the stuff that I've written and talked about, you know that I'm really passionate about teaching you how to develop the skills to have direct communication with your own guides. I just feel like it's really important. So I was all in for that, but it was too painful for her at that time. So that was one snafu. And I tend to tell people ahead of time about that possibility that I give people a little bit more coaching and how to connect to their guides and to the people that they love and to describe the ways in which they're there all the time. And we, as a society, we don't really believe in them or we relegate them to the category of being ghosts, which, you know, (laughs) I think they'll take what they can get. But there are so many stereotypes around ghosts that it's probably not fair to do that. But Trying to reconnect to someone via me is not going to work long term. So that's the first tricky situation. Then the other one is when someone shows up wanting to use the fact that they've lost someone as a test of how good at my job I am. So they don't tell me. And as is often the case, I will make contact with someone, but they don't necessarily read as dead, right? Especially since they're such a prominent person in in my client's heart. And because there's the opportunity to reassure 
the people they've left behind. It's a powerful experience, but about, you know, five or 10 minutes in, I often will think, hold on a second, something's not right here. I feel like perhaps this person isn't with us in bodily form anymore. And when that's confirmed, I'm in an awkward position because it works much more smoothly if you just tell me, you know, I lost my son. He was in an accident. We're trying to move on with our life, you know, all of this stuff. I'm not really that upset about it if it happens, but I will recommend that if that's the reason why you're seeking out an intuitive session, that it's much more important for you and it will work much better if you're just up front with it. In one particular session that I remember, the stress of the loss had started to affect this woman's partnership. And I was a little concerned. There were some things that were going to need to be discussed and hashed out. And since everybody grieves in their own way, you could see the pressure points between the two of them. It could have also been, I suspected at the time, that part of her grief that led her to me was that she just needed a safe space to just miss her son so deeply and that the rawness of that pain was something that she'd had to hide from a lot of people. So she was probably just used to it. And then there's the last tricky situation that I found myself in during the early days of the pandemic, where somebody reached out to me because her sister had died of cardiac arrest, but the awfulness was compounded because she had had symptoms. They had rushed to the ER. And as you remember, in the early days of the pandemic, we had to go into hospitals by ourselves. We couldn't bring anybody with me. So what had happened is that she had been seen in the ER and she had died and they had fought valiantly to bring her back, but her heart just gave out. And the first thing that I picked up on was this attending nurse who, okay, so let me describe the situation. So they're in this critical in the ER theater and there are nurses all around, but there was a guide nurse who was watching over the entire episode of her actually becoming disembodied. And that nurse who was a spirit self person was the one who was talking to me. And she was reassuring my client that the people who were, had fought for her sister were absolutely acting in good faith. And everyone was devastated when they couldn't bring her back. And the energy that was in the room was just so loving. And it wasn't really a comfort to my client. And I definitely picked up that there were people who were still in shock and the woman's husband among them. And somehow the grief got turned into anger. And because they hadn't actually been in the hospital, they had become convinced as a group that her sister died from either a medical error or there was some kind of malfeasance in the emergency room. That's not what I picked up. But they were so determined 
that that must be the case, that that was the reason they contacted me because they figured that I could find out some kind of information that might help their case. So it's just horrible grief that they had that was turned upside down and made them suspicious and stuck. And I really couldn't comment on any of that because the information that I was getting was that their family member had had a peaceful death. But if you remember in the early days and months of the pandemic, we were all completely out of our minds and out of our hearts. It was not an easy time. And I can't imagine a worse scenario than losing somebody where we couldn't even be with them. That's part of the tragedy of a COVID death, right? Is that people were dying alone. So that the people who were on the front lines became our best resource for connecting us to that loss. And it wasn't easy at all. So those three situations have made me feel pretty passionate about educating clients ahead of channeling a spirit for them. It doesn't always happen. I don't always have the time to give them every bit of information that I'm giving you now. And some spirits are a little shy, so they don't always want to come forward right away. They're kind of watching me and they want to make sure that I know what I'm doing. I'm also someone who's had some pretty significant losses. And I know that there are exceptions to all of the things that I've told you as well. So what I try to do is just make the session as safe as I possibly can so that if someone is going to come through, it's, we give it the best chance of being a really delightful experience and healing and positive. So that's what I think being responsible about mediumship is. I know that there are intuitives that have public gatherings and events where they pick somebody randomly in the audience and they give them a whole bunch of information from a guide that's contacting them. And I'm not doubting the veracity of that. I just think it contributes to the sort of, you know, vaudevillian bear in a tutu experience with intuitives, which, you know, I pretty much devoted my entire life and career to like moving the needle on that. And I think that grief is serious emotional business. And since we do live in a culture that doesn't do it very well, I want the work that I do to contribute to healthy grieving. So there you have it. If you have feedback for me on experiences that you've had with people that have crossed over, please reach out to me and let me know. And trust yourselves. You know, there's very common belief of humans is that we're isolated and alone and there's no one to help us. And yet, if you knew how many spirits were around you and dying to help more and make contact with you, you might rethink that belief. So have fun today. Have your best day. And if you see a a crow or porcupine, say hi for me. See you next time. And that's it for this episode of Everyday Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, remember to subscribe to us on whatever podcast app you use. It's the best way for other people to find it, and we so appreciate you helping us get the word out. 
Also, we love your shares on Instagram and Facebook about what you loved, something that made a difference for you in your life, or an aha moment. Remember to tag me at Susan Gorman Intuitive and use the hashtag EverydayIntuitionPodcast. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks.